Welcome to another edition of Market Impact Insights, your podcast source for business leadership perspectives to help your business grow. Hear from experts in marketing, sales, business strategy, and more with practical advice for business success. Make sure you won't miss the latest episodes by visiting marketimpactnow.com. Now, here's your host, Dan Albaum. Welcome back, everyone, to another amazing episode of Market Impact Insights. The philosophy behind this podcast is in business, it's all about making a positive impact every day. And there is no more important role in any B2B organization to ensure impact and success than product management. We're going to do a deep dive into the role of the product manager, so critical strategically all the way through to execution and the experience that customers have with your brand. And it's like the bicycle wheel, the hub with the spokes coming in. That's the critical role of product manager. And if you look at the trends that reinforces that strategic importance, it's as we come into a very dynamic market, we roll into 2024. It's about working smarter, more efficiently. It's about keeping the focus on the customer, clarity of product vision and strategy. We're going to dive a bit into that, the collaborative nature of product management, systems and process optimization comes into play, and this high demand for quality product managers, just like my guest today, Phil Smith, who has more than 15 years of product management experience for some of the world's leading companies. He's currently a product manager at General Motors, and he's responsible for the in-vehicle Alexa and emerging virtual assistant technologies. And that's across Buick, Cadillac, Chevrolet, GMC vehicles. So that interactive experience that we're all seeing happening inside of our automobiles fills behind that. He's worked at other leading companies, including Honeywell. I worked with Phil when we were in the fitness space at Precore, now part of Peloton, and he is a passionate, strategic, and highly effective product manager. So I can't wait to jump in and talk about this critical role. Phil, welcome to Market Impact Insights. Thanks, Dan. It's great to be here. So what an interesting arc that you've had. I know we share some other common things in our in our career trajectory. What originally sparked your passion to pursue this path in product management? Yeah, you know, it was a bit unexpected. You know, I had been working, uh, you know, in in radio, and then that went into advertising. And so I was familiar with marketing, but really didn't know that there were roles in product management, or even product marketing. So I knew about marketing, marketing directors, brand managers, and a few other things. But product management, uh, you know, has been something that's really uh, increased visibility over the past 15 years. And so I would say really, you know, on the product side, I was always interested in, you know, developing product and interesting and interested in how products were made. And, you know, being a kid and seeing cool things that came out to market, you know, like CD players and, you know, gaming stuff, uh, you know, and other cool uh, consumer electronics. Uh, I always had an, a bit of a uh, an interest in how they were made and, you know, how they could be better 
And so, you know, I always thought that those people were inventors or engineers. So, you know, being able to get, uh, you know, into, you know, product management through a bit of an extension of marketing, you know, has been a, a great way to, to, you know, feed that passion. Yeah. And so more than 15 years on this exciting journey so far, what are some of the key learnings, the takeaways that you've had? Yeah, I think one of the the biggest uh, key learnings that I uh, learned pretty early on is that you really have to be interested in the products you are working on. And, you know, some people will say, well, you've got to use the products every day and, and really immerse yourself in the product, which is great advice. But a lot of times it's not possible. You know, when I worked at Honeywell, I worked on um, building control automation and, you know, I, I didn't live in a big office building or a university uh-huh. campus. So I couldn't really set up the product and use it all you know, myself every day, but, you know, you have to really have that interest in the product and, uh, and, and be able to, uh, you know, have, uh, an interest of what you can do to make that product, you know, better tomorrow and even better into the future and really understand, uh, customer needs. Those have been some of my, uh, key learnings. And then, you know, in addition to that communication is important. You have to speak with a large variety of stakeholders, everyone from executives who you need to pitch new ideas to for approval, uh, to engineers who you need to be able to give actionable requirements, and then, you know, marketing people who need to understand, you know, the value proposition of a product. And then you even talk to end customers who may not directly purchase products, but they're exposed to your product every day and they have strong opinions. Yeah, it's interesting. The the role is so dependent in, in order to be effective at connecting with other people, connecting with other functional groups in your organization. But also, you know, you mentioned uh, talking to so many customers to really feel like you're walking in their shoes. There's just no substitute than that continuous reaching out connection. So this is not the work uh, by yourself in a silo and just the thinking aspect of it. This is an interactive connecting type of a role, isn't it? Exactly. And that's really the the key part is being able to, you know, get out and and talk to customers. And, you know, some of the work can be done, uh, you know, online through online meetings and, and, you know, through that kind of communication, but really, you know, being able to spend time with customers in their work setting, you know, those are key aspects. And then in your role now, probably one of the, the real benefits, because that's something that is more accessible, to you, like driving your GM car, right? And so you're probably experiencing what the customers are yourself on your commute into the office every day. Yeah, and that's a big thing where, you know, you can set up, you know, different kinds of emulators for products, you know, even if, you know, if they're apps or, or whatever they are, uh, or you could even say, hey, I've got a, an Alexa at home or other smart speaker devices and I, I get how they work and, you know, I understand it. But really, as you're saying, you're getting in the car, driving, and then going through, you know, the, you know, a a typical day, you know, commuting back and forth to the office and, uh, you know, and even on the weekends, you know, going places and, you know, trying to, you know, use the product. It's there's, there's just no substitute for that where you're using it all the time. You pick up on things of like, well, Hey, is, is the, uh, in vehicle experience as fast as, uh, in, uh, at home, uh, smart speaker, you know, is it quicker to use your voice in the car than it is to use, 
uh, you know, your, your, um, your hands to, to type in the navigation, you know, all of those things come into play. Uh, and, you know, being able to use the product and, and uh, see how it works and, and to be able to, you know, make sure you're delivering the right quality of product, you know, there's really no substitute for that. You know, you can wait for, you know, um, bugs to come in or for customers to make complaints, but, but being proactive and, and seeing that and experiencing the product uh, you know, in vehicle, that's one of the the things that, you know, not just myself, but, uh, you know, the whole infotainment group does where, you know, we get exposed to, you know, how the uh, each one of the products works in the car and how well they work together. And that's an area where, uh, you know, we're doing something that's that's it's really um, connected to multiple things where we've got navigation, we've got cloud services, we've got in vehicle car control. Um, you know, and, and other things that we're working on for the future that, you know, that really have to be tested, uh, you know, in that environment. And, and to make it even more complicated, we're a moving target also where uh, things like, um, you know, cellular communication, where if you're in a parking garage uh, or in a weak area, you know, how do we overcome those obstacles mm-hmm. as well? So lots of you know, pieces that, that you just can't substitute uh, you know, like on a workbench or, um, you know, in front of a computer. And then thinking globally, right. There are probably some nuances just culturally that could come into play. If you've got a global responsibility, global markets served with that solution or that experience, then understanding those distinct nuances across, um, those different markets and cultures. So that's another, uh, opportunity, but it can be challenging. I'm sure. Yeah, we do have some uh, challenges with that, especially with voice where, you know, if, if it's a, uh, a straight, you know, kind of development where you're, um, you know, doing, uh, um, you know, a, a UI that's on a screen that has, uh, you know, text on it, you know, we can easily translate that and have a team do that. But when we have uh, multiple markets in, you know, global regions that we're in, we're in uh, Canada um, you know, the U S and then Mexico and Brazil. So in Brazil, we support Brazilian Portuguese and then, um, and, and then Mexico, we we support Spanish. And then, uh, in the U S we support Spanish as well. And then in Canada, you would think that it's, it's easy, but it's, you know, we've got, uh, English and then Canadian French that we support. Uh-huh. And so an example of the, the complication of that is we've got a, uh, a feature where you can use Alexa to control the climate control in your car. And so, you know, in, in the U.S., we say, you know, um, Alexa, make it warmer. Alexa, set temperature too. And then we find out in other countries, you know, they've, they've got different ways of, of saying that that's that are not just you know word for word translations there's you know just different ways that people speak and so you know what would you know if you ran it through google translator you would get a a, a, you know response but then you find out well the market you know the people that live there you know it's you know the more of the informal way of saying something you know that needs to be supported uh as well and then even uh something saying like uh you know increase the uh, passenger side temperature five degrees um you know that's it's different in in uh spanish where you know it's not a direct translation and so you know we have to work with you know different teams to make sure that we're getting the the language pieces right you know and making sure that alexa understands all of that 
and then to make sure that you know each of our vehicles uh, does the right response. Where you know even though the vehicles are very similar, you know there are some hardware differences on the vehicles, and then we've got some vehicles that don't have rear climate control uh, mm-hmm. settings to where you know it's, it's just being able to compensate for for all of those variations in vehicles as well. Yeah, so many moving parts, and you've worked in a lot of different organizations, Phil, and you've worked alongside many different product managers. From your experience, are there some common pitfalls or or mistakes you've seen that have really been learning opportunities for you back to how do you continue to do better? What, What have you seen out there that maybe is just common that are the learning opportunities? Yeah, I think a few things. There's a, a few things that I think of when you ask that question, and and probably a, a few of them. It's it's easy to fall into, and and you know, and hopefully I haven't fallen too deeply into them myself. But I think everybody to some extent does. And you know, one of them is is, is being able to uh, you know not create copycat products. And so, you know, in multiple industries that I've worked in, you know, there's always been, you know, a loud voice that's, you know, a lot of times we call that voice of sales where, you know, sales comes in and they say, hey, wow, we've been talking to, you know, a lot of customers and it's not quantified. It's a lot of customers and, and, you know, they all want this. They all want that. And if we could just have a product just like, you know, so-and-so and uh, that's always been a recipe for disaster. You have to build products that are different, differentiated and that address, you know, unique customer needs. And so I would say, you know, that that's one of the, the, the easiest ways to get into a pitfall where you're really not doing good work. You're, you're just, you know, creating me too kind of products. And so the other one is uh, a bit similar to that, where you're, you're building a product, um, you know, based uh, on needs of dealers, channel partners, uh, and other people where, you know, it be in this, you see this a lot of times with, um, you know, consumer goods, uh, where, you know, there's shelf space and, and, uh, you know, a supplier or a channel partner will come in and they'll say, Hey, look, you know, we, we can't supply, uh, we can't put, you know, eight or 10 products on the shelf. Uh, you know, we want a product that that's, uh, you know, kind of in between, you know, someone else's product, you know, they want to sandwich you between two products and, and have you have like a, a you know, kind of a, a mid kind of tiered product and, you know, basically telling you what to build. And so, you know, so basically you're, you're now building a product for people who don't exist. And so, you know, that's another, you know, pitfall that you can get into where, you know, you find out, well, you know, there's really no market for the product because you never talked to real customers. You never found out what the needs were and you're, you're basically building something to, uh, satisfy no one. And so probably the final one that, that you know, I, I was, as I was thinking of, of the example before is, you know, trying to develop uh, a product that's a hundred percent based on data, you know, and, and it's a, it's a bit of a, um, a struggle because a lot of times you'll hear people say, Hey, you know, we need to make data, uh, focused decisions, data driven decisions. And, and so with that, you know, it's easy to pull a bunch of data, survey a bunch of people and just get a ton of data in, uh, and then try to, you know, put every bit of that into a product. And so, you know, you really have to think about it, you know, no product 
is 100% to everyone. You can't optimize for 100% of the population. And so, you know, doing that, you know, rarely works. And, uh, you know, and you basically, you know, build something that nobody wants, you know, it's, it's on paper, it's perfect. You know, you, you, you met every uh, requirement, you checked every box. And, you know, it's, it's kind of the, the literal uh, textbook example of that was the Pontiac Aztec. You know, the product did very well in testing. It did well in consumer clinics when, when uh, given the options of, you know, like, do you want, you know, A, B or C, D or all the above? You know, people always said they wanted all the above. And, you know, that's what they got. And then reality hit <laughs> in yeah. terms of... Uh, Whoa, this isn't yeah. uh, playing out the way we thought it was. And that happens, right? And to some extent, you know, an organization that is putting uh, investment behind innovation, they're trying a lot of things. That's actually can be a good thing. And you're not going to hit, it's like in baseball, you know, 300 hitter is considered a good hitter, three out of 10. So you're never going to be uh, bad a thousand. You know, you're going to have some misses and you've got to have some misses in order to get the hits. But but I think trying to minimize that risk wherever possible. And you talked about the artificial segmentation where you're backing in based on some other criteria other than being needs driven. Really good points. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Now, relationships are so critical to success in product management. You are interfacing with, uh, and you're and really your your own outcomes are driven through um, the support and the relationship you have with other people and engineering. There's always been this classic product management, engineering, tight symbiotic relationship, but there's a natural tension sometimes that, that comes into that. How do you see that playing out? What's worked for you to make that really successful? Yeah, I think one of the, the best tools to, you know, working with engineering is it's really uh, a, a trust and communication relationship uh, you know, engineers like to come to the table with ideas and, you know, most of the time they have genuinely great ideas, but, you know, sometimes they may not be a product fit for the specific product being developed or, you know, sometimes they're fantastic ideas, but, but being a person that's, you know, communicating, uh, you know, listening and, and those are, uh, important things. And then, you know, having that, uh, trust piece of the relationship is also important too, to where, uh, you know, if you've got data, you've got uh, interviews with customers, you've got, you know, tangible items that you can show and demonstrate, you know, to uh, engineers and say, Hey, you know, we've, you know, uh, talked to, you know, you know, 50 customers and uh, you know, and, and they don't solve the problem this way. You know, they're really looking for this instead, you know, and, and to be able to show, you know, um, you know, that information, uh, and to not just say, Hey, well, this is what we want to do. And this is what we think is going to market better. You know, that's, that really turns engineering off, but you know, the, the best place to be with engineering is to, you know, be a, a product manager that's out in the field, you know, getting great information from customers, you know, getting great, uh, insight and then, um, and then market data, and then, you know, being able to really show, uh, you know, sticking to the, you know, what the problem is and, and then, you know, working with the engineering side, you know, and let them come up with the, how we'll solve it. And I, I think one of the ways to, you know, really, um, you know, 
have a bad relationship with engineering is to be a, a type of product manager that goes out, talks to a few people, comes up with a preconceived idea and really has the, the how this is how we're going to do it. And, you know, and, you know, most of the time with uh, engineering, it's if you give them, you know, great inputs and really explain and, and work as a team on, you know, solving, you know, customer needs and, and looking for successful outcomes, you know, that's where you start to get that positive energy and uh, and, and, and having things that, that work great and, and having great product solutions. Yeah. So what I'm hearing there, Phil, is fact-based wherever possible, not just driven by emotion and opinion. And so that drives that internal credibility and then leaving room for the very talented engineering minds to kind of get to the how instead of trying to be prescriptive. Yep, definitely. Those are important. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I, you, you and I have both worked in organizations that have a high volume of new product uh, in the pipeline. And so just keeping that relationship real and again, building that trust uh, and then the open communication is so important and being good at what you do is one thing. Being exceptional is something entirely different from your perspective, kind of bringing it back to a product manager. What are some of the other things that you think really separates truly exceptional product management from just good enough? Yeah, you know, I it's and especially, you know, when you start out in product management, you're always trying to figure out, hey, is, is you know, am I an exceptional product manager or, you know, where, where do you fit? Right. And a friend told me, he said, hey, you know, the, the product always gets done. Uh, the difference between a product that gets done versus a product that is really great you know, that showcases a great product manager. And so, you know, part of that is, you know, having that insight and to know, you know, where to play, how to win. And, uh, and, and I would say that a, a great product manager is playing to win. They, they want to have great market share. They want to have products that are successful. You know, they really want to launch something strong. And then, you know, with someone who's just an okay product manager, you know, you, you kind of see someone who's, you know, just playing not to lose. They want to introduce something, uh, you know, it's, you know, they're, they're okay if it's not a great product and, you know, just something that, you know, fills the need. And, you know, and over time, you know, I, I think that those are the traits that, that really separate people, you know, in, in product management, you know, um, you know, understanding, you know, really the keys to, you know, customers and, and having that empathy for, you know, what the customers are trying to do, you know, what, what is the job to be done uh, and to be able to understand, you know, really all the elements of of getting a job done. You know, what what are the criteria, the metrics that that customers use to judge, you know, how well the solution works, and to make sure that the uh, outcomes are, you know, successful outcomes that that are a hundred percent to where they're not having to use your product and still use the product before to finish out some of the areas that yours doesn't do. And then, you know, really understand, you know, what the constraints are that they deal with. You know, do they have some kind of regulatory constraints? Uh, you know, are there other types of, you know, constraints that prevent them from, you know, having successful outcomes or things that take longer uh, to get done? Uh, and, and so, you know, really it's, it's those three things, right? Understanding the jobs, you know, the outcomes and constraints. Those are things that are important. 
Uh, you know, other things in, in, in more generalized types of things, I would say would be, you know, a great product manager is not afraid to ask multiple questions. And it's, it's almost like an interrogation where you're trying to yeah. uncover unmet needs and find gaps in a proposed solution. And if you sit back and you just listen and, and just say, okay, uh, we got it, you know, great product managers are going to dig in and really try to look for, you know, some kind of a, a gap or a hole or something that's a, a place where, uh, you know, uh, where there's a, a need that's unmet. And, and then finally, uh, I would say is, you know, is being a, a great product manager is you, you got to know when enough is enough where you can get into an endless loop of analysis paralysis and, and, you know, great product managers, you know, keep that momentum going, uh, and they can get through the ambiguity and gather needs and that's hard work. Uh, and then, they, but then, you know, at the end of the day, when it's, they've got it, they know when they've got it, and then it's time to finalize and move on and get the product into development. And, and then, oh, and I was just re- thinking of, there's one last part too, is, you know, you've got to have, you know, a, a strategic vision. And so no matter what product you're making, it, it's knowing that you've got a, uh, a vision of what you think the product is today, you know, how you think it's going to be better tomorrow. And then having a strategy of, of how you're going to be able to implement that. Yeah, so much good stuff packed into what you were talking about there. And, and it comes down to true leadership, something that you said that really resonated with me. And of course, I've been a, a very strong advocate for servant leadership in my book, The Impact Makers. I talk a bit more about that. But one of the things you, you mentioned in there, which is, having the discipline to sit back and listen. So it's actually that that element of humility of saying, I may not have all the answers. I probably don't have all the answers. So seek to understand, listen as part of going from good to exceptional. Love that. It's yeah. it's right in, in line with just those those servant leader principles. Yeah. And I think in addition to that, I think as humans, we have uh, a struggle with being able to say, you lost me. Hey, can you, can you explain that again? And that's an area, you know, where, you know, there's, it's a great opportunity to be able to pick up on missed things. And, uh, and it's, it's one of those things where I, I think as a product manager over time, you get more comfortable doing that, you know, in the early years or the first year or so that you're, you know, a product manager and someone, you know, explains a process or, you know, like a, a job that they're doing or, you know, you know, and you're trying to get that understanding, there's, there's a, a bit of hesitation, you know, in saying, Hey, I, I don't understand this, you know, go back and, you know, and, and start over again and, and explain this. Um, it, because I, th- I think people feel that they'll be judged as, you know, not understanding, uh, or criticized for having to have things explained to them multiple times. Yeah. But, but those are, you know, areas too, where, you know, it's just, it, it makes a huge difference. And, uh, and if you watch, uh, you know, TV reporters who are, you know, genuine, uh, journalists, you know, you'll, you'll hear them say, oh, hey, you know, stop, you know, you know, spell that name one more time. Uh, you know, tell me, you know, you know, yeah. you know, explain to me again, you know, that, you know, what happened. And, and so, you know, you're doing that to understand and it's, it's really part of that communication piece. Well, that's where it's about setting that ego aside. That's where the humility comes in that says, it's okay for me to say I need that restated or I need to seek that clarification. And when you're not doing that because it's, I don't want to be perceived as not getting it, that's where we're putting 
I guess the cart before the horse. We're not, we're not focused on the right thing. So that is so true. And Phil, you've been immersed in and around technologies uh, throughout your product management journey. How is this current state where it seems like innovation is happening so fast right now, new technologies, how, how do you see that impacting your work as a product manager? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, technology is definitely changing super fast. And, and, you know, when I started, you know, we were, you know, what they call uh, waterfall, you know, we was, it would basically would be uh, going out, you know, spending time out in the field, you know, getting all the requirements, writing the requirements, you know, writing a big, long you know, marketing requirements document, and then handing that over to engineering and, uh, you know, and then working to get the product done. And so, you know, more, you know, um, more industries, more companies, more products, product lines are, you know, moving to an agile type of development. And so, you know, that's really uh, an opportunity to bring in some of the new technology of, of, uh, of things where, you know, we've used 3D printing to be able to get uh, prototypes done earlier and quicker. Uh, those are things that have saved, you know, a lot of time where, you know, we're able to 3D print something, um, put it in place, get customers to put their hands on it, touch it. Uh, you know, we did that with exercise equipment, being able to, you know, test out new handles, uh, you know, different aspects of the machine that have ergonomic, um, you know, um, aspects to them. Uh, and then also, you know, technology has changed a lot of the go to market too if you know when the the first product that i worked on that was software it was box software and it was mm-hmm. uh, pressed on a cd yeah. and so we went from a cd to a dvd and then from there to a cloud offering and you know and so in a matter of just a few years and so you know that's a lot of change but then you know it's the technology that enables you know licensing cloud services and then even the way that we sell products too where you know you don't buy uh, a product like even if you think about uh, Microsoft Office well you know you used to buy you know what they call the perpetual license and so that would be is that you bought you know a, a certain version of the product and you kept it and and then all of a sudden if you uh, decided you wanted to upgrade, you would upgrade and buy the new one uh, or an upgrade. But but now you know we're seeing you know with Office three sixty five you know that's that's the model that almost everyone is using now where you basically have an annual subscription and you have a, a license to the product and you know and it's it's really that difference between you know access versus ownership. We're moving to an access uh, model where you know more products are virtual and and you own the product for a, a moment in time and if you decide to put more uh more coins in the meter you get to keep using the product and if not it goes dark and so you know those are all you know big uh you know changes you know to what we have and and i would say probably one more would be you know there's really been a big movement over the past you know like five years or so to you know more self-service models mm-hmm. on products where you know, you're able to, you know, do a lot of the the work yourself, uh, you know, and to be able to set up and configure things. It's really you know, like the TurboTax model where, you know, there's a lot of products now where you're able to, you know, have that same kind of uh, ability. So, you know, so to answer the question, really, it's, um, you know, the rapid innovation of all these new, uh, you know, platforms and technologies, you know, it, it's just made a, a world of difference. And even 
on the um, development side with our developers, you know, we're able to, you know, use more, you know, SDKs and, and APIs to be able to, you know, link our products to other products and, and to be able to, you know, use, you know, more prepackaged pieces and not have to create things from scratch. So, you know, all of those things, you know, really make it, you know, possible to, you know, have faster iterations, you know, get products out to market quicker uh, and the ability to do over the air updates. You know, that's another huge thing. And it's, and it's relatively new to automotive where, you know, just imagine like if you bought a car five years ago and, uh, you know, and you enjoyed the car, it was, you know, state of the art when you bought it. And then now all of a sudden, you know, there's new features, there's new functionality. And, you know, now there's the ability to be able to, you know, do an over the air update, update those vehicles, give them latest and greatest features, uh, but without having to, you know, buy a new car or change out hardware. And so, you know, yeah. those are all examples, you know, of just, you know, drastic changes, you know, that we've seen, you know, in a relatively short amount of time. I mean, Phil, you're saying we don't have to bring the car into the dealer as often anymore. You know, it, it's just this remote virtual experience. So I, I hear cheering out there right now about yeah. just the convenience of that. Yeah, it's it's amazing. And then, you know, there's, uh, you know, even other aspects, you know, in automotive that, you know, that we're, you know, do, able to do now where let's say that you um, you decided to buy a used car and it was a lease return. And, you know, you, you picked out a car and, uh, and realized, wow, you know, like the, it doesn't have, uh, you know, a, a certain feature that you want. And, uh, and then, you know, being able to offer, you know, uh, digital options to where even a used car can be upgraded to where, you know, there could be certain aspects of um, infotainment or, you know, uh, other features maybe their performance features, maybe their navigation features that, you know, were not originally sold on the car to the first owner, but then you as the second owner decide, Hey, you know, I, that I, I, I want those features, you know, you could purchase them as a second owner, uh, and have them activated in a car. And so, you know, those are things that, mm -hmm. you know, were never possible before. And that those are the things that we'll be seeing, you know, more of, you know, uh, you know, in the next few years. That's amazing to see this all come to play. And we talked a little bit earlier about going out and really understanding customer needs, getting that customer interface and direct input. And so that's the market intelligence. But there's another kind of intelligence that is really important, and that's competitive intelligence. So where does that come into play for you? Yeah, competitive intelligence is is a, is a bit tough, you know, with with product management because you know a lot of attention goes into the industry first, I would say, and then competitive landscape second. And and so, um, you know, many times competitive intelligence comes a bit late in the process. And then you find out, you know, competitor X is unveiling something new at a trade show or CES. And, and then, then now it's time, you know, to have this frantic, you know, catch up and try to match what they're doing. And so, you know, I would say, you know, being proactive it's better to you know really understand the the industry understand the market uh, you know and, and to be able to see and anticipate what's happening and how uh, the world and and products are evolving and and really you know 
try to you know keep your eyes open and 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 look around. I, I one thing that's interesting is I I think that Steve Jobs had a, a great line that I, I saw in his book that that he said were you know that they would look at their products and stand around and say you know you know looking at our products looking at the world uh, you know who's got something that could turn our lights out. And, you know, and that's, you know, the, uh, where they didn't really do, you know, uh, competitive analysis, but then they, you know, it's, it's a bit of, you know, looking at your portfolio, looking at how the world's changing. And, and that's where they said, wow, you know, uh, someone said, Hey, if, you know, basically if Nokia and LG and a few of these others, they start adding music and, and all these things to their phones, people aren't going to buy the iPod anymore. And, and so that's where, yeah. you know, they, they basically had the iPad ready to go and, uh, you know, and then they decided to pivot, you know, and, and say, no, 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 we, we need to make this, uh, this phone product first. And so, you know, those are the areas where, uh, you know, which I, you know, it's a bit of competitive intelligence, but really more, you know, of, of that industry in the market. Uh, you know, that's one area. And then the other part about, you know, competitive intelligence is, is keeping an eye out and, and, at people who are newcomers and, and, you know, one year that's kind of a joke and they've got a product that's not very good. And, uh, you know, and, and, you know, it's, and you, you know, maybe you discount what it is that they're doing, but then, you know, some of these have the, some of these competitors have the ability to, uh, you know, to get better and then, you know, what they could be doing is getting ready to, you know, launch more of a disruptor type of a strategy where, you know, they, they come in, they offer 80% of the features of your product, but at half the price. And, you know, that's an area where, you know, where, you know, competitive intel and, and you know, and keeping an eye on what others are doing is, is helpful and to see, you know, how the industry is changing. Because in many industries, you find out after a period of time that people, you know, the stated needs are that they need to do, you know, 10 things. And then you find out later, hey, if somebody else comes to market that does eight of them and half the price, uh, you're going to lose a lot of customers. Yeah, just a, lo a lot there, and it's uh, dynamic, and and the need to just be on top of, or at least be aware, contextually of of what your major competitors are up to. It's very, very real. Phil, what's the best piece of business advice you've ever received? I that's a tough one to to answer because I I think I, I, there's been lots of great advice, and and a lot of it you know comes from just you know the the simple basics of you know hey you know do, you know do hard work and you know really focus on on product and focus on what it is that you're doing whatever it is you know there's always that kind of advice but one one piece of advice that I got was uh, that you know and it had to do with the story of um, someone who's you know your product manager and, and this is a, a, a true story that came from a, a colleague of mine and it said you know when you're conducting a customer interview you're presenting a solution and a prototype uh, it's always always best to you know in that conversation and personalize it and say something like how many would you buy and so it sounds kind of an odd thing but but basically what you're doing is you're asking for the order and yes. so when speaking in generalizations and you're presenting something, you know, a product with 10 features, you know, it does this, it does that, speeds and feeds, you know, many customers are not thinking about themselves. They are likely considering themselves part of a group or a segment. Uh -huh. You know, yeah. they're, they're thinking, you know, just of they're trying to help you and they're trying to generalize. And then so if you're, you know, asking for the order, that personalizes the question. 
And so you may be surprised to hear how they answer the question. And, you know, and you'll, you'll, you might hear something like, uh, okay, so how many would you buy? Oh, uh, I'm not sure that's, uh, that's, that, that might be great for most people, but I need something with more, you know, power, you know, something that's more Mm -hmm. industrial. I need something cheaper. I need something that's hardwired, you know, whatever it is, you'll hear, you know, those specific, um, constraints, you know, or, you know, or, or, you know, pushbacks, uh, to where you, you start to find out, um, you know, maybe it's not such a great product. Uh, and, and that's so powerful and, you know, and it really makes a difference between, you know, building something that, yeah, it's okay. Uh, you know, versus, Hey, would you, you know, like, all right, how many can I put you down for? Are you going to buy this? And then, you know, right all of a sudden, you know, it's, it's like being at a car dealership and the salesperson says, Hey, uh, you know, or, you know, do you want this car? And you're like, Oh, well, that's, you know, you could say it's a great car. It looks nice, but you know, actually I don't really like that color. And you know, that, that all those things start to come out. Yeah. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. And in a way, it's really the ultimate uh, pressure test for the value proposition when you personalize it down like that. So I know you're someone who is constantly looking forward. You're very strategic in terms of the vision. But when you think about the future, Phil, what makes you optimistic? I think that one of the things that, that makes me optimistic about, you know, thinking of the future and seeing the future and, you know, it's easy to be overwhelmed by things, but the, the, the best thing that I've seen and, and experienced is that, you know, the core jobs to be done remains consistent and there's almost endless possibilities for providing customers with better solutions by innovating and uncovering unmet needs and, you know, it's, that's something that AI will not replace, you know, good product managers, you know, that can see the market and can see what, what's happening. Uh, I, I would say those are the things that make me optimistic is that, you know, there's, there's a lot of room for, you know, new products, you know, new strategies, you know, new technologies. And, you know, it's not an area that's going to, you know, mature and, uh, and be something that, that goes away. Yeah. And there are so many product managers that are out there that every day they're waking up, they're thinking about how do I make a more positive impact Mm -hmm. in my organization? Bill, what advice would you have for them to do that? To have, to have a a better positive impact? Uh, You know, I think really it's, it's focusing on building, you know, fantastic products and they're, they're not just products that meet the needs of today, but, you know, the ones that, that last a lifetime. And so, you know, imagine no one is ever trying to release, you know, Jack Daniels 2.0 or, you know, improve legendary products, you know, like the Shure SM58 microphone, right? That's been around since 1965. You know, there's little tiny little evolutions that they do, but, you know, those are the products that, that stand the, the test of time. And, you know, I, I think that those are, you know, those are all areas where you, you can look and say, wow, you know, there's, you know, there's some, some great products that, that have been developed. Well, Phil, thanks again for giving us a deeper glimpse into this very critical role of product manager in driving strategic success and revenue growth and all those good things that companies are out there looking to achieve. It's really uh, mind-blowing to think about where this is all headed, but at the intersection of technology, the human factor, and business success, it's product management. Thanks again for joining. Thanks, Dan.
And a reminder to everyone, please continue to help make this podcast even better by giving the gift of feedback. Go out, rate and review. It's so easy to do out on all the major podcast platforms, including Apple Podcast and Spotify. And as always, make sure to visit marketimpactnow.com for the latest in business leadership perspectives. So long until next time.